It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Yeah, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gagan Pod. We've got the K-League on Optus Sport humming on our screens every weekend, but the return of competition in Europe edges ever closer. We're going to talk about that possibility today, as well as the K-League, because we've got a K-League winner with us in Alex Wilkinson, joining myself, David Wiener, and Michael Bridges as ever. Let's rip right into it. Bridgie? Welcome back to you as ever. Another week, another Zoom, another catch-up. How are you, mate? Yeah, mate, very well, thank you. Been looking forward to this one, Dave, because there's lots of talk, obviously, around the world in football, the Premier League. When are we going to see it back? The players back in training, all the COVID testing. Watching the Bundesliga has been absolutely fantastic. And obviously, having will go on, we've got the A-League to discuss and how they've been coping with their training sessions and whatnot. So really looking forward to getting into this one, Dave, and seeing what people around the world have been up to. Very nice. And Alex, welcome back. We've had you on earlier in the season, uh, in the flesh. Um, but Bridget and I are never going to see each other again. So welcome to the new reality. I know. Uh, how, how are you, most importantly? How are you going? No, good. Thanks for having me back on, boys. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, look, keeping all right, obviously. Um, you know, wanting to get back into things, hopefully um, sometime soon. And let's hope we can get back to training and get the A-League back on the screens um, sometime in the, you know, the near future. It's great to see, as Bridgie said, um, more and more football coming back and, you know, us as football fans getting to watch some live games again, which is great. Well, Bridgie, the latest overnight is full contact is resuming in England for the Premier League. Uh, which is a, was one of the major hurdles because that is an indication that clubs are comfortable with the limit of the spread of COVID amongst the competition, even though there have been a number of positive tests. They're saying that it's not um, in any clusters enough to be worried and that the ratio of it is not big enough that they cannot contain it. And also an important hurdle because it means the players will have the physical preparation to start in, let's say, two to three weeks, which will be decided, I think it's Thursday night, Australia time, in a meeting where there's quite a bit to determine in terms of the dotting the I's and crossing the T's. What do you make of all that? Yeah, well, it's great that they've all come together and every club has jumped on board and said, we're, we're getting on with it, we're going ahead. And it, it's good for the players. You need, you need contact. There's no doubt about it, because it, it's tough to, to just train by yourself in isolation, um, go through your programmes, you need that stimulation. So, the, you know, the players have been back into a training environment now where they've had to do restricted training. There hasn't been any contact. It still does not come anywhere near replicating the real game. And that's what the players will want. If they're going to go in and the clubs into full matches behind closed doors, you've, you've got to have that aspect in training. So they've, it was great to see that they all voted for it, Dave. And we were talking about the K-League with Ash a few weeks ago saying if a player gets it or a staff member, they might have to go into isolation for 14 days. I believe that it's, it's come to a thing in England, whether I'm, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a 15-minute window of contact or if you've been with that certain person that 
the others do need to go into isolation. If not, and the tests come back positive, like they are doing at this moment in time, that it's just that particular person that has to go in and do do the isolation period. And there's been some good news come out in the UK, actually, with the NHS that have got a drug that has taken a four-day window off the um, recovery period. So it's no means is it, is it, is it a great outcome of a vaccine, but there is a, it's, it's reduced it by four days across the whole board that they've been very successful. So they're, they're getting somewhere, people are trying it. And the Premier League, they've voted, mate. They've seen that the Bundesliga have been able to do it. They're in full contact games. They're in full contact behind closed doors. So I'm delighted that it is actually being given the green light um, and the clubs are on board with it as long as none of the players that don't want to participate are not going to be held accountable because they've still got a lot of issues with some of the players and their families. And we've just got to say, listen, they make their own decisions. So Alex, as an Australian here where rugby league starts tonight, AFL is advanced in commencing as well. And you're seeing in England and in Germany and Europe where they're not doing as well as we are as a country, they're on their way. How do you feel seeing that news? Yeah, look, I mean, in a, in a way, it shows that surely we're close to, to getting something back on the field here as well. I mean, we're, as a country, tracking a lot better than a lot of, uh, I guess, countries in Europe in terms of the, the pandemic. So um, it, it all points towards us getting um, something sorted out pretty quickly. I guess there's obviously a lot to work out logistically in terms of the health protocols, safety for players, um, you know, wages for players, all those sorts of things need to be sorted out. Um, in terms of the, the health protocols, it'll be interesting to see what um, FFA choose to do in terms of how they want to finish the season, whether they go with um, the so-called hub model that they're talking about where everyone flies into one area and, um, you know, get the games done in, I guess, in a, in a quick amount of time. They're talking getting the, the rest of the season done within a month. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Now, you're, you're, you're a busy man sneaking us in because I should mention that you wear a number of hats as well. More hats than Bridget and I do as the president of the PFA. Um, so thank you for squeezing us in today. As a, as a player, um, how have you gone through the last 10 weeks or 12 weeks? I've lost track of time of how long it's been. You're a dad as well. Got a couple of youngsters nipping at your heels. Although they're back at school, I believe now. Um, we talk about full contact in the Premier League. How have you done it? How do you feel? What are you most fearful or excited about in returning? Yeah, look, I think the this ten weeks is it's been pretty difficult for for all the players. Um, you know, there's a there's a overwhelming feeling of I guess you know anxiousness and nervousness as to what I guess the future holds. Um, you know, we've got a lot of players coming off contract in what three days time basically, and um, you know normally when you come off contract as a player, you can. Uh, you know, try it. if your if your club's not going to retain you, then you can try to go to another club in the A League, or go try to try your luck overseas, or or go to the NPL. But at the moment, there's just no options available for those players coming off contracts. So that just adds to that that feeling of insecurity, I suppose, and anxiousness. But um, I guess personally, for me, the the last ten weeks, as you said, I've, I've got a couple of kids. One's at school, so a lot's been homeschooling, and thank God they're back at school this week. The teachers don't <laughs> get paid anywhere near enough. Um, yeah, yeah. That's been fun and games trying to get my uh, son to concentrate. But uh, and then in between that, yeah, we've we've been given a program from Sydney just to um, keep ticking over and keep fit and just do as much as we can individually. We haven't got together at all um, in terms of, of of training together. So it's just been up to each individual to maintain some level of fitness because when the season does get um, put back on. Uh, we got a lot of games to get played in a short period of time. Like we got six 
games to go at Sydney plus finals, which and they're talking about doing that within a month. So obviously everyone's got to, um, you know, be ready to go for that. And that comes back to, well, well that's a, a big thing at the moment in the Bundesliga. There's been quite a lot of injuries because they haven't had that foundation or that level that they are so used to doing, getting the games in in that short period of time as well. I know in the Championship in England and teams that are in the lower divisions, there's a lot of games we used to play Monday, Saturday, Tuesday night or Wednesday yeah. into Saturday. So your body adapts to it. But it's a big thing, like you were saying, for the players' welfare to get through it. Um, if if that's the way it's required in such a short period of so that's when clubs and coaches are going to have to look at their tactics as well and the style of play how do we maintain how do we recover so it, it's going to be very very interesting to see how everything progresses not only in the European countries but also if we get the go ahead over here when we do yeah because usually in pre-season you can play a bunch of friendly games and whatnot but I don't know how that's worked in Europe, but I'm, I'm assuming in the A-League, you know, the friendly games won't be allowed because of the health protocols and, and whatnot that's going to be in place. So, you know, usually you get your fitness up to scratch during the week and then you play a midweek game and then a game on the weekend and that those sorts of minutes help top you up. But obviously that probably won't be um, able to happen at the moment. Well, there was, there was something came through from the MPL uh, from Northern New South Wales. There was all these rules and regulations. It was fascinating to go through. I was being involved in the MPL in Newcastle about how we are going to be able to train how many players can we have in a certain area with one coach? So going through all that was fascinating and given the go-ahead to potentially about the 10th of July, but that was a big issue. There was going to be no games, no trial games before that period. We might be able to get one in in the first week of July if you're allowed and if not, then we, we crack on with the competition. Uh, but like you say, it, it, it's very tough to, to under, for the players and the staff to understand why we can't have them games when you're going to be allowed to play. So we've got to deal with the rules and regulations and it's how we've all got to embrace and do the right thing. To what extent, Alex, have you guys been in touch? Zoom, here we are Zooming. That seems to be the, in vogue around the world. But has there been a level of contact? And I guess you can talk for what Sydney FC, but you might have a knowledge across the league. Not just even from, a, a, I guess, a making sure that you're together as a team and keeping on track, but even from a morale and mentality and, and, and mental health point of view. Can you, can you give us an insight into how that's been um, kept up over the last few months? Yeah, look, I think that side, as you mentioned, the mental health sort of side and is, is probably the most important at the moment because, as you mentioned, you know, players are you know, pretty uncertain about what's sort of happening over the next, um, well, over the next couple of months for the resumption of the league, but also going forward in, in years to come. And, um, you know, players have got families and uh, mortgages and, and all sorts of things to, to worry about. And so to be able to keep in contact with them is, is very, very important. And, you know, we've got WhatsApp groups and we've had a couple of Zoom chats with the whole um, group involved. The clubs um, touch base with us pretty regularly. We speak to CV Corica um, every couple of weeks. He touches base with, with the whole playing squad, which has been good just to check up and make sure everything's all right. And and also the PFA have um, some, you know, each club has a player development manager basically to look after uh, anything the players want to do outside of um, football or, or anything to do with their mental health. So they've been really um, an integral part of touching base with everyone and making sure that, um, you know, everyone's doing doing okay and, um, you know, filling their time in with, with any other options, whether it's study, whether it's um, things to watch, whether it's, you know, whatever it is to, to keep the mind busy while um, we're in this, this strange time. How much time do you think, I mean, looking at the Bundesliga, um, they look like they, you can obviously tell there's a little bit of a preseason feel and even talking to guys like um, Brandon O'Neill, Jason Davidson in Korea, they even said the first few games felt like a preseason. Um, how long do you think it'll take to bounce 
back into the full swing of things from a physical point of view? And uh, has that been discussed? Is there any concerns? Um, what, what are you feeling about that aspect? Yeah, I think most of the players sort of feel they'll need about a month to get back up to scratch. And, and, and as I said before, it's, 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 we're in a unique situation in the fact that all, all the clubs in A-League have a different amount of games to play. So there's some teams that have got three games to play um, and then potentially they're not going to make the final. So they've only got to be ready to go for three games, whereas potentially someone like Perth or us might have nine games in, in a month. So it's, um, you know, everyone's at different sort of levels and, and, and are going to need to get to different levels, you know, fitness-wise. And, and it's not like um, you can ease yourself in either once the, the season starts. There's only a few games left and there's teams fighting for, for finals positions on the table. So everyone's got to be ready to go from day one. There's no easing in or, um, you know, getting fit a couple of games into the season. Everyone's got to be, um, you know, at their best come kickoff to, to give their team the best chance of uh, finishing the table in the right position, I guess. I mean, you know what? There's another thing there to come with that as well, Dave. The fact that some of the visa players have gone back to the yeah. gone back to their designated countries and won't be able to finish off the the season in their teams. So the teams are going to be down on numbers. What? How do they cope with that? Well, what, what's happened with your with your club at Sydney? Yeah, we're lucky in the fact that we've only got all our foreigners have stayed here at the moment, so um, that's worked out well for us. There are situations throughout the league that players have, have gone home to different countries all over the world and and managers. And managers, yeah, and team staff as well. So um, that's why things obviously need to get, um, you know, announced and, and, and moving forward pretty quickly because if players do come back, then they've obviously got to go into quarantine for 14 days uh, in a hotel. So you can't do too much training in a hotel room. So that obviously puts them behind a couple of weeks of where everyone else is going to be. Um, and then, you know, if they're talking about getting back into training in the middle of June or, or sometime in June, then, you know, that that date for them to go into quarantine has got to be coming up pretty soon for them to be able to join in. So everything hopefully will come to a head, um, you know, in the next week or so, and we'll have some more news. What's the, uh, you mentioned before the sort of, if a headache of contracts ending at the end of the month, um, you've spoken about uh, physical aspect, the mental aspect, and there's also the aspect that if it's in centralized areas, players might be away from their families for a month if you're from Perth I imagine there's not going to be traveling that you'll be bunkered down in, in another state how much of a toll is that to consider and as, as the players rep as well as the head of that association what's your biggest anxiety or, or concern that you advocate for or you take to the table yeah look it's a you know it's a huge sacrifice that you know all the teams are going to take who are having to travel into into this hub situation if that's the way they they decide to finish the season um you know, that's essentially a month or, or longer away from their families on, you know, what's going to be a reduced um, wage packet um, once it all gets sorted out. So it's obviously a, a huge sacrifice the players are making to get this season done. But at the end of the day, we're footballers and it's it's what we love to do. So, you know, we, we've always been keen as a playing group to, to finish the season and, and um, you know, not just, uh, I guess, wrap it up and, and stop it where we finished. Um, you know, it's always been a priority of pretty much the whole playing group um, that we, everyone was behind really wanting to resume the league and finish it off and um, let's hope we can get as, as mentioned before as many players back from from all teams as possible so you know that helps with the integrity of the league and and I guess finishing it off as it started. Dave you've just you've just said that that would be tough to go into a hub away from your families mate after being two months in the house of my wife I'm applying for every <laughs> single job available whether it's manager assistant manager physio masseur 
You name it, I'm going for it. Cause I do anything. Get away from this woman for at least two months, man. <laughs> so fair. If the kids weren't if the kids weren't at school, I'd be doing the same, mate. I can't handle the homeschooling anymore. <laughs> there you go. See, now we'll put an honest spin on it. You see, <laughs> and now we've got to figure out why Sydney FC's home is uh, is in Perth and and, and Aurora playing out of Amy Park and <laughs> the real issues come up. Um, we jest, but as you think, are you, are you comfortable that the season will finish? Do you, as a player, that must just be the that must have been the biggest anxiety this whole time. I mean, as a, as a father with a, just a professional job, security has been my everyone's concern. As a footballer, how does that translate in terms of this season finishing? Yeah, look, that's no doubt been the the biggest um, point of anxiety, I guess, for the playing group is the fact that. Um, as mentioned, we, I think we've got 88 players coming off contract in, in a couple of days. And just the, the fact that we weren't really sure whether the season was going to um, finish and, and whether they'd have a job to, to go back to, I guess. But um, from all reports, it looks like um, all parties, all the clubs are, are keen, FFA is keen. Um, Foxtel have paid the money to, um, I guess, broadcast the rest of the season. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm really, really confident that the season will go ahead. Um, and it's just a matter of working out the fine details, as mentioned before, in terms of the, the, the health protocols, the safety, um, the situation about where we're going to be playing and all those little things that need to be sorted out, I guess, before um, anything can be announced. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I think um, one, one, not, we don't like to get too serious on the gag and pod. We're normally here walking down memory lane. But one, one other thing I wanted to ask you is there's been, a, I mean, I guess it happens when there's a lot of time on people's hands. There's been a lot of talk. Um, a lot of discussion, a lot of a lot of reflection on, on where the game's at from kids kicking the ball at the park, grassroots, all the way up to the Socceroos and Matildas, um, including the A-League in between. Where have you stood on all that discussion? As a player, is it white noise? Is it something that, is it something that you, you take to heart as a group when you see so much discussion about the state of the A-League, a competition that you're striving so passionately to win? Um, how does that filter down to you guys as individuals and as a playing group? I think it depends on the individual. You know, some people will pay attention to it, some don't. I think, um, you know, there's obviously been a lot of the chat over the last um, couple of weeks about the development pathways and whatnot. And Bridgie might be able to speak to, to that a bit better than I do, being involved in, in that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I think it just it, it depends on, on the individual and how much you want to listen to and how much you, you take notice, I suppose, because players can sometimes be in that bubble of just you know, worrying about themselves and worrying about their football club and not looking at the at the bigger picture, I suppose. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, listen, the, the pathways is a, is a big thing because when you think the women's game was the biggest growing sport in in um, this country for the girls' game and the, the boys' game, there's so many numbers taking part. We're trying to get back to where, you know, with that, the, the, the golden generation, as they call it, that, when I look back at that, yeah, there were great players. There's still great players in this day and age, but it was a lot easier for players to travel over into Europe to get work visas and things like that back then. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the from the guys, but since then, Croatia have been allowed into the EU. You've had the African players that flooding the market, so it's a lot harder for players in this day and age from the Asian market and the A-League to break in, to get over, to play for the, the big big leagues in the world. And when you see the likes of Matty Ryan and Aaron Moy doing it now, it, you've got to salute them massively because it is such a tougher task to get into them high numbers. So the grassroots thing that they're trying to sort out here, the, the numbers, the capacity is huge. And I feel sorry for the person that is going to have to try and come up with a whole new system or curriculum, as they call it. 
at the end of the day, Dave, we've just got to get the kids out playing and we've just got to let them play. There's been a lot of, I mean, I would go and watch some coaching sessions from the ages of oh, 10 year olds to 14 year olds. And sometimes you would see a coach in an hour, maybe stop the session and talk to the kids for 20, 25 minutes. And it used to do my head in. And you're on the sideline thinking they've missed out on that 25 minutes of just learning to use the ball and play with the ball. And kids come up with their own ideas. So for, for me, it is all about just getting as many numbers back out there and playing and trying to take. I, I think your, your academy actually with Kelly Cross, um, Wilco, has gone back to a kind of let's just get them out straight away and play. Because we were doing the pro diploma and came to actually watch Sydney FC's um, training from, for the academy. And it was interesting to see how Kelly Cross had been one of the main guys in the um, FFA coaching curriculum who had set the, the thing up with Hamburger to say, it must be done like this, it must be done like that, the passenger positioning game. It was all structured and planned and there was a lot of things were in there. And it was fascinating to go back and see Kelly now, who was with Sydney FC, and say, watch the training of what we, what we do. And it was incredible to just see them get straight out with the ball. Everything was just play, play, play. And there was not a lot of coaching aspect came into it where they were stopping the kids and having them gathered around for long periods of time. And it was really refreshing to see. But it's incredible to see how somebody that was up at the yeah. top has kind of taken a whole new circle in a, in a look on the game. And if you don't have self-reflection and feedback to change it when things are going wrong, then you'll never succeed. So fair play to Sydney FC for doing that and breaking the mould. Um, and I'm just hoping that we do see a lot more numbers playing without too much coach interaction um, at younger ages. Yeah, well said, well said. Hey, before we move on to some uh, some K-League chat, I just want to ask, um, because it's something that I've, I've been fascinated about just around the world, how the transfer windows are going to work and, and what happens with, with you know FIFA working out what the windows look like. The Premier League is going to have the same problem because um, the transfer window is an answer that hits us any minute now. Um, they're probably going to be playing during that period. Um, does, in Australia, do we rely, Alex, on what FIFA comes down with as a global system or are we going to have to make some concessions and, and um, caveats because of the unique situations now? And does that flow into next season or not? Like, it must be really complicated to sort out from your point of view. Yeah, I think it, it definitely is. And that's been a, 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 you know, a quite a bit of discussion in terms of um, from the PFA in, in what that uh, means in terms of um, transfer windows and, and I think um, from what's been I've been told that there there could be a chance that all the transfer windows sort of get shifted a little bit um, I guess back or, or later for, to accommodate for all the leagues that obviously had paused for so long and um, you know uh, haven't or are resuming or haven't resumed yet so um, I think everyone's sort of be, got to be guided by FIFA. Obviously, they're the governing body, and I'm not sure if um, you know you're even able to to act independently, uh, you know, from them. But from from what I've heard, there's a chance that the the transfer windows will be um, shifted back because that was a main concern for a lot of A League players as well in terms of trying there uh, for ones who want to try that and have opportunities overseas. If we're essentially back. Uh, resuming our season until sometime in August or, or September, then uh, essentially that means all windows for even Asia or Europe are closed. So, um, you know, that was a concern for the playing group as well. Well, go. What, I just want to ask you a question to see how you feel about I don't want to put you in an awkward situation here, so feel free to tell us to get stuffed. <laughs> having, somebody like James, having somebody like James Johnson now as the, the figure 
um, or being involved in the game over here and his connections with FIFA and what he's been through there. Does that give you a little, does that make you feel more relaxed about knowing where the game's going or are you still very, very anxious about where it could go? No, I think I think having him involved's been been really good. Actually, I think um, he's worked, as you said, he's worked at FIFA. He's worked at Clubland with I think Manchester City, wasn't it? Um, yes. Yeah. And he's also he also worked at the PFA in in Australia before he uh, went overseas. So he's sort of worked in all facets of the game, you could say. And um, he's I guess seen it from from all stakeholders' points of view, which is which is nice to have someone in charge um, who can understand where I guess every stakeholder in the game's coming from. So, you know, I've been impressed with what, um, you know, he's done over the last couple of months since he's been involved. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's great to have, um, I guess, a true football person in, in the top job. I mean, nobody could have seen what was coming with COVID. So he was coming over here with totally different ambitions and um, wanting to leave a legacy in different areas and avenues. But I was just, I was just thinking last week, Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Or a few, well, a couple of months back, sorry, when I was speaking to Dave, I was so re- refreshed knowing that he was going to be involved in the game. And then if there's anybody since this COVID that I would want to be trying to put everything together and, you know, put the puzzle together, it would be James or somebody of his calibre that has worked in all them different avenues, like you say, because the amount of networks that he's got in collaboration, I just think is it, it's hopefully got our game in this country back to some form of reality um, with a vision. Yeah, I think we always say as, as a game, we want football people involved in football. But, you know, that's also got to come with the caveat that they have to have the relevant qualifications to be involved and to be able to make those decisions. And, um, you know, James is one of those people that definitely fits that criteria. You know, he's a football um, man through and through, but he's also um, highly qualified in all the areas needed. So it's, um, it's great to have him on board. Bridget, you mentioned the you just mentioned to Alex uh, anxiety before. Just to clarify, Alex, I mean, where, where do you stand? Are the players or yourself individual? Is there anxiety? Is it cautiously optimistic? Is it just an eagerness to get back into this season? Is there a feeling of get through this season, but what lies beyond? What what is the mood yeah. of Coalface? Yeah, all of that really. I mean, um, there's there's still there's still a definite anxiousness about um, you know the next three months finishing the season, what that looks like in terms of, as I said, health and safety, what it looks like in terms of player wages. And then um, I guess what, um, you know, not not only the next three months, but what does it look like next year for players who are contracted next year um, in terms of um, broadcast deals, in terms of, um, you know, what ability or, or how COVID has affected clubs. Um, so all these questions are sort of still up in the air and, 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 I guess, to a degree unanswered at the moment. So um, that sort of adds to that, um, I guess, anxiety a little bit. But what we can control, I suppose, is this, is this next three months and, and um, trying to make that work and make it work as quick as possible and and then obviously um, answer the other questions as we go. But, you know, there's still that level that level of anxiety for sure. It's the domino effect as well, Dave, when you think if you know, the A-League's here and how many people it's 
um, helped out over the years that the A-League has been going, the jobs of masseurs, the jobs of coaches, the jobs of staffing, the people that are working on match day revenue and things like that, football agents that have made a living out of the A-League in Australia and help players get overseas. So it's there's a the, the global picture of it all is huge to the survival of the having a national league and at this moment that is the A League. Uh, and the quicker Wilco says you don't want to be held accountable and play for you, you've still got to have a value, but at the end of the day you've still got to want to play. I'm taking this off you here, Wilco. I'm, I'm going. But the, the players will want to still play to keep the future of the game, but there's still got to be something in it where they're, they're not just playing for free just for the sake of getting it going. So there's, there's that, you know, there's got to be a happy medium somewhere and something has got to give because at the end of the day, if the game doesn't go ahead, we may not have the A-League anymore. And that is the sad reality of it. But at the end of the day, you do not want to put yourself out there and play for that reason when you've still got families to support and to look after. That is your, that is your, your livelihood and your living there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We want to get everyone back on the field and we want everyone back on the field uh, in the right environment on the right terms. Uh, so I wish you all the very best with that going forward, Alex. But um, in a more simpler time, the reason we had you on the show was, of course, that whilst we're waiting uh, and beyond, we've got the, the treat of um, having another league on our screens through the K-League, a league you know so well, a league you did so fantastically in bringing home a couple of championships. Um, and we get to see five Aussie boys run around every weekend. Um, this weekend, we've got uh, Brandon O'Neill on our screens with our Pohang Steelers on Sunday night at Incheon United, 7.45. That's my team, Wilco. That's yeah. who I've gone for. <laughs> <laughs> what, was it the colours? What, what, why did you go? Yeah, what what was that mate? Well, just when I read up about them, it had that they're quite a um, blue-collar club. They had a yeah. lot of history behind them with the stadium. And the fact that Brandon O'Neill is there and he supports Leeds United. So, mate, any, anywhere he goes, yeah. I'm going to support them. Nice. Oh, that's right. They were the Spurs of the K-League, weren't they? Were the Spurs? Yeah. No, well, yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they got a good... They got a, a real... Ulsan were the Liverpool of the league. Almost yeah. Nellies. Poang aren't the Spurs. Poang have got trophies. Yeah, they got a lot of trophies. Yeah. They, do it. They're, they were... They oh, still are right. and were a big club. Sorry, Bridget. Oh, they're completely different to Spurs then. <laughs> <laughs> But also this weekend, of course, is your old team, John Book. They're on at Saturday night, 5.15pm at Gangwon as well. So it's a really nice treat to see something completely different on our screens that you know so well. Uh, Alex, what have you made of what you've seen so far, the start to the season, and um, how you reacted to knowing that we can watch it a bit more often here in Australia? Yeah, I was I was wrapped on when I saw you guys picked it up. It was... Um... You know, I wish it was like that a couple of years ago when I was there. Which you have no idea how hard it is to actually watch a game, um, a K League game, when obviously there's no, when Optus weren't involved. You know, from people back home trying to watch my games or to watch other Aussies who'd been there was was nearly impossible. So it's great to be able to to follow the guys who have um, you know gone over to Asia and gone over to Korea especially, um, and be able to monitor them and watch them play and. You know, it's a it's a great league, the K League. I had a fantastic time there. Um, you know, I was at a great club who, who looked after me really, really well. And um, you know, I was there for, for nearly four years and I look back with, with really fond memories. Well go you said that was an impossible thing to actually watch a K League game. Do you want to know another impossible task? Go on. Is when Dave Weiner and Optus Sport ring you up and say, Oh, by the way, can you do your research? You've got twenty four hours to find out the names <laughs> of the teams, the names of the players, because we've got the K League rights tomorrow. 
that was impossible <laughs> because I can't even pronounce European names. So to try and understand some of the, the names over there, mate, it was absolutely epic. <laughs> stitch up, absolute stitch up. It was, mate, it was. I was glad, I was glad on that Friday night all I had to worry about, Bridget was typing them out without a typo. You had the, uh, you, you had the tough job uh, in set, but it was, it, was, it was fantastic. It was fantastic to see. What have you made of this after the season? I actually impressed you. Um, and have the Aussie boys fared in your opinion? Yeah, look, I think obviously, um, you know, being uh, after playing for John Book, I follow them. I still do follow them, or how I have done before. I've just picked up the rights, but now to be able to watch them, um, you know, whenever I get a chance is great. Obviously, we've got them in our group in the Champions League this year as well. So we had, we've already played them yeah. um, a few months back now, and we're due to play them again. Whether that goes ahead or not, who knows? But, um, Look, they're travelling well again. They're three from three to start the season, which is which is great for them. But it's um, the Aussie boys are, are doing well as well. You know, um, Jason Davidson at Ulsan. Ulsan should have won the the title last year. They literally threw it away on the last day of the season. I think they needed a, they just needed a draw in the last day, and I think they they lost four nil after drawing with John Book the week before. So. They literally threw it away, so they'll be looking to obviously win the win the tournament this year, and that's a big that's a big yeah. rivalry because they're both owned by Hyundai. So that's traditionally they sent a big, a big message rivalry. out a few weeks back when they were two 0 down, and everybody, you know, I think it was week two or week three, and they came back to win the game three two. That that impressed me no end from Ulsan, To be fair, when I saw that, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and 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 Davo's been doing well. He played the first two games. He didn't play the recent one I saw, but you know that's pretty common in in Korea. You don't. Um, you know, you see foreigners getting getting benched or getting rested quite regularly, and um, you know I wouldn't read anything into that. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Suwon and and Terry. He obviously got sent off the first game against John Book, and um, you know I think got suspended for the the subsequent games that they played so far. So it'd be interesting to see if he comes straight in this week for their game. Can you give us an insight into what you think might happen to him? I, I've done a I had a chat yesterday with Brandon O'Neill for a feature article to promote this weekend's game, and um, he told military us service. Yeah, <laughs> what was that? You shipped military off. service. <laughs> I didn't. Sorry, say that. I, I I didn't hear military service. He'd be doing this. <laughs> oh. He'd be going to military service over there. They'll have him enrolled straight away for what he did. <laughs> oh dear. But uh, now he told us you gave him some rubbish advice before going. Um, but also he said that part of the um, the thing that he's had to deal with is yeah he wasn't on the bench in the first week. They won, and then he was in the team in the second week, and that's the stuff that he's had to adjust to. Can you give us an insight into how ruthless it actually is there and the pressure that you faced uh, as a pinup foreigner? And that these guys are going to have to adapt to and sink or swim. Yeah, they don't give you that time to settle in and and I guess get used to the league and get used to your surroundings. They sort of expect you to come in and and do well straight away. You're obviously there as a foreigner. You're one of four players um, that aren't Korean, and you're expected to to you know do a good job or do a better job than what they've got. So. They're ruthless in the fact that they, as I said, they just don't give you that time. Like the amount of people or amount of players that came in while I was at John Book would come in for, um, you know, on six-month contracts or a year contracts. But after two or three weeks, the coach would have seen enough and then all of a sudden you don't, they're never back in the team again. It's crazy. And then all of a sudden the next transfer window, they're gone and someone else comes back in and then rinse and repeat until they find someone that they like. So it's not a nice... Um, part of football, I guess that, but it's just the way it is, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same in Europe as as well. But um, yeah, the, the the boys who are over there now have to get used to that pretty quickly. And um, from what I've seen, most of them have settled in pretty well. Brano's played the last two games, which is good. I spoke to him last week, and 
he's really enjoying his time there and still getting um, match fit and, and whatnot, but um, really enjoying the challenge. And, um, you know, it, it definitely is a challenge. Um, you know, their, their culture is very different to, to what it is here, um, both in their lifestyle and in their, the way they, they approach football. So there definitely uh, is a settling in period for sure. Well, have you spoke? You said you spoke to him last week. Did he mention anything, or did he just chat about what they have been doing um, regarding the COVID testing and things, and how they've had to monitor it and just to try and see what you may have to do? No, I did, no, I didn't touch base with him about the the COVID stuff. But I think most of them they did they, they only had to stop training for a few a week or so or a couple of weeks, and then they they were allowed, they were able to train all the way through. So essentially, fitness wise, they've been um, not too badly affected. They, you know, it's, it's nothing like it has been across the rest of the world where everyone's had to pretty much stop and just do individual stuff. They were, a lot of the teams, I think, were, were able to still train as a team together. Yeah, Korea as a country, um, after being an initial spike, Bridgie, up there with China, they adapted quite remarkably. I think maybe, do you think, Wilco, because of the, I mean, the word that Brandon uses almost is quite militant in the way they are disciplined, mm. that the fact that they were they were almost instructed on how to behave, they were entrusted to carry that out and they did so and actually got on top of it. it, it is that a bit of an insight into how they might have conquered it being the first ones back in action but also the lifestyles that yourself Robbie Cordway Sasha Ognosky had to adapt to to go on and thrive the way you did yeah I think that probably you know goes some way to to explaining how um, they got on top of it so quickly they're very much uh um, I guess a hierarchical race in, in terms of if you're elder or, or someone in charge tells you to do something, you do it and you don't ask questions. And it's very much like that in the football um, environment as well. If one of the older players tells one of the younger players to do something, um, even if it's something outrageous, they don't bat an eyelid. They'll just do it. And should be the way. That's the way it should be, mate. That was yeah. my upbringing as a YTS. If Kevin Ball <laughs> told me to go and get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I would say, what way would you like me to stir that cup of tea or stir your coffee? It's, it's, the respect's it's gone these days, man. The world's the changed now. Yeah. Completely different, I agree. But, yeah, so that's, I guess, um, you know, very much how they work over there. And so, you know, that's probably goes some way to explaining how quickly they got on top of it because everyone just told to do something or told to um, act in a certain manner in terms of what they can and can't do to get on top of this COVID. And they followed it. And, and the way they got on top of it so quickly was unbelievable. They, they were at one stage the, the most infected country or the... Uh, and then all of a sudden, they they were the first, you know, um, country back playing. It's it's it was unbelievable. Yeah, remarkable roller coaster for the guys there coming back. Not to uh, what are our rights? And all of a sudden, they're back on the training field, um, and they've all done so damn well to actually cope with it and, and, and get through it. Um, four years you mentioned, uh, amazing years, trophy success. Um, it was it fair to say it was a real catalyst in your career to going on and 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 kicking on with the Socceroos and, and all that kind of stuff. How fondly do you look back at your K-League time? How much did it change you as a, as a, as a player and a person? Yeah, very much so. I look back, at, look back at it with really fond memories. I think I'd been in the A-League up at Central Coast for, I think, seven or eight years and um, wanted to, to try something new. I went on loan to um, a Chinese team the year before I ended up going to Korea just for the off-season in the A-League. And came back and then played another season with the Mariners and then ended up going um, the year after. And just I just wanted to try something new and experience something a little bit different. And, um, you know, timing isn't always um, ideal. You know, I just had my, my first child. He was uh, three weeks old when we got the call to go over. So that was pretty difficult. Um, 
you know, logistically getting all that sorted and telling my missus that we had to pack up and leave a three, three week old baby. But um, the club were great in the fact that they, you know, made everything so easy for me. You know, they organized everything off the pitch for me. So I could basically um, come straight in and concentrate just on my football. And, you know, they made sure my wife and my little boy were looked after. And, you know, when you're, when you're in a foreign country and, and I guess that's your, that's your major concern to start with that, you know, the people that aren't involved in the football club are looked after. And once they are, then you can, you're happy and you can concentrate on playing football. And when, you know, things are good off the pitch, you tend to find that um, things are going better on the pitch as well. They say, I mean, Bridget, the stories I hear from everyone over there that it's training like I've never known before. And that military, you joked about the military, um, but it is so intense. Is there a way to, quantify that or demonstrate that or just give an example Alex of like of, of moving from here to there just how much of a shock it was your system what they do differently that makes everyone rave about that aspect of playing yeah it's just the, the yeah the, the training is um, well my training anyway I had a Korean coach um, he was a little bit old school he was a legend of the club he'd been at the club for 10 plus years and brought a lot of success to John Book and he was a little bit more old school in the way he sort of did things so you know training for us was you know pretty much every single training we would finish um, the the training session with a 45 minute full full field game so you know and in, in Australia that's basically unheard of you know you, you one day you do your attacking patterns you do your defensive shape you might play some small sided games but over there every single day we'd be doing full field games and, you know, to couple that with obviously more games than, than what the A-League has as well, you know, there's, I think, 33 in the league plus, um, you know, you've got uh, your Champions League, you've got your FA Cup. So you're playing upwards close to 50 games. And then during the week, you're getting these, um, you know, I guess high load sessions as well. And that's something that they probably don't do anywhere near as well as Australia is in, in terms of the medical side of things where they, they monitor loads, um, so well here in Australia and, and they're on top of stuff with GPS and and the physios here are really, really good. That That's somewhere where they were lacking, I think, over there. They've got all the facilities um, and all the money to spend on facilities in the world, but for some reason that side of their game over there um, hasn't developed, I guess, as well as it uh, as we are here in, in Australia. Some stuff, so it's a pro and a con uh, in a way there. Um, what's the so that that segues nicely because everyone always says about going overseas, it's bigger, it's better, and, and all that. But um, to what extent do you think that? So that's one element where we do well here. Um, is there anything else that when you came back you thought that that we could learn from what the way career operates in terms of their K League? Well, I think that was the that was the for me the the real main difference was the medical side of things and that, and that might have changed in the last couple of years you know there's every chance that they've gotten better but um, you know facility wise you just you can't compare the all the clubs over there have like a training base where they have accommodation for for all the players to to live there basically on on campus they've got um, well John Book had a brand new facility that we moved into while I was over there that had you know indoor pitches. Uh, massive gym, um, accommodation, kitchens, games rooms, all this sort of stuff that, um, you know, you can't compare. And they got that because Hyundai gave that to them as a gift for, for winning the league one year. So, uh, as you do. <laughs> yeah, as you do. So they asked the coach what he wanted and he said he wanted a new training facility. So he somehow wrangled them into agreeing That's to good. that. But, um, <laughs> you just, so, so facilities wise, you, you can't always compare, but 
I think that that medical and sports science side is is something that Australia is very very good at, and I've heard that from you know a number of people, even guys who've played in Europe, that we are way ahead of the game here um, in terms of sports science. Yeah, I'll just I'll just reiterate that and back that up. I was blown away when I saw Craig Duncan give a a seminar down at the AIS Institute of Sport. He was lecturing for three days. And probably the most fascinating three days I've, I've ever experienced with taking in information of how the Socceroos were, him and Ange were monitoring the players from around the world um, on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So I, I, I credit everything. And you see a lot of sports scientists, a lot of physios. Even when I played in England, we had a lot of them come through our ranks. There's people at Liverpool, people all over in America from Australia. So the, that side of the game over here, or that side of the mentality and the, the education, in the sports science is huge. It's a massive credit to Australian um, sport. Yeah, that was fascinating. That, I remember Craig talking me through, it was probably two or three years ago, when Robbie Cruz wasn't playing much for his club in Germany. And he said, I can tell you hand on heart, he's got a folder like this, that uh, he'll run rings around everyone when he comes into Socceroos camp because we can see A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 1.2, 2.3, 3, 4. And he rattled it all off and it was, it was mesmerising. Um, and so that's, I suppose, how you get through a two-year qualifying circle that takes you to almost every corner of the globe and uh, every facet of football you could possibly see, I suppose. And I guess that's the last thing I want to ask you, Alex, before we, we probably run out of bit of time, is you had, you, you, that experience gave you exposure to a defending in a completely different competition to what you did here. And then you were complementing that with stepping up into World Cups, Asian Cups. Um, how was that for you just as a development, as a defender, as, a, as being able to develop your skill set and um, all-round ability? Um, how different was that for you to, to, to embrace and, and, and grow from? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I guess everywhere you go or every league you sort of go into, it's a different challenge. But in terms of... Um, I guess the defending, I guess the A-League and the K-League is similar in the fact that they're allowed foreigners and usually the foreigners are, are usually bought for the sort of front third a lot of the time. And so you're playing against, um, you know, a lot of foreign strikers in both leagues. Um, you know, I always prefer to play against the bigger guys instead of the ones that are small and always on your shoulder and trying to get in behind you. Um, you know, I much prefer... A massive six foot five bloke, although you cop a few elbows, you don't have to chase him as much, which is don't give you a secret to where you've still got the finals to come, lad. <laughs> <laughs> much more fun. But I think that when you when you then when you step up to the international, that's when you really notice, I guess, a, a big difference. I think um, you know, you just can't switch off for any um any moment in the game because you know, if if you switch off in club football and, and you give someone a chance, you might get away with it two or three times. But if you do it at international level, you know, you switch off one time, you give them one chance, it's a goal, you're down one nil. And I think that's the that's the steepest learning curve when you step from the club level to international and getting used to that standard is the fact that you just you can't switch off. Everything's done at a at a quicker pace, they're sharper, um, they're quicker. And um, I guess that was the the biggest difference for me. Well, Dave, can I ask a little question? I'm a massive shirt collector over my career. I don't know how many do. I don't know if you did it, but you, did I you used to shirts and collect shirts with anybody? Shirts? Did you say? Yeah. Jerseys? Did you, like uh, behind me? I, I yeah, just love yeah, collecting. Yeah. Who, yeah, who's I your, got, who's um, your most cherished? Who's your I best? Got, who did I get? I got De Bruyne's shirt when we played uh, Belgium. Oh, friendly, there you go. Right. Which is great. Yeah. I just yeah. put all mine to shame, then, so it's fine. Well done. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I haven't got many, to be fair. I um, I didn't get. I got um, Vargas as one of the World Cup when we played Chile, but um, I didn't get any in the other two games. But then, yeah, when we played Belgium, I was 
I was happy to get to Bruyne's. I think that was just before he might have moved to Man City, I think. So, Brilliant. yeah, so that's definitely one to treasure. Were you up against Lukaku that night? He didn't play. Origi played. Fair, fair yeah. test, nevertheless. Yeah, yeah, he was decent. Big boy, strong. But yeah, they were, I think Hazard and, and Lukaku didn't play that night. So potentially made my night a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bridget, next week I'll bring my $2 shirt collection. I'll put it behind just so I don't feel as inferior to you when, when sitting there doing this, all right? <laughs> you do well, that. I'll send a couple down for you, Dave, just to jazz it up. What a collection that is, mate. No, it's not bad, mate. But, you know, there's, a, there's some good ones there, some good memories. Some good memories. Beautiful. Thing is, Wilco, I've got a, I've got a few upstairs in the, the cupboard in the wardrobe, and I was going through them because we've been doing the Optus trivia, oh, yeah. and I've, I've run out of shirts. I'm gonna have to start taking these off the wall to wear them, mate. It's, it's, I've run out, so I'm gonna have to double double wear. And it doesn't I'm, go down well. I'm sure Katie will do the honours of breaking them open, and she might have a style of oh, how she wants to do it. She'll do it on my head, Dave. Yes, she will. <laughs> Good stuff. One day, one day we'll walk through all the stories behind all of those, Bridget. I'm sure there's a, there's a fair to tell. Alex, thank you so much for your time today. I know, I know you're busy, so thanks for squeezing us in and giving that insight. And most importantly, mate, all the best. I hope you can forget the boardroom stuff and the Zoom stuff and get on the field, get those boots on as soon as possible. Yeah, let's hope so. Thanks for having me, boys. Great to be back. Uh, cheers, Will. Well, listen, good luck. And um, something that I really valued what you said there before is the PFA doing things for the mental health and the well-being of the players. Um, and, and, you know, it's going to be a massive, massive issue in going forward, mate. So I wish you all the best with that. Keep up the good work, mate, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, mate. Appreciate the support. Cheers, boys. The trip run out there is over. Um, hope you enjoyed that episode. By the time we next talk, we may know when the Premier League is going to resume. We may know when the A-League is going to resume. We might know a lot more. Let's hope that is the case. But until then, enjoy the K-League on Optus Sport. Look after yourselves and we'll meet you next week.